0: Hi, this is
1: Marilyn Ball, and you're listening to Speaking of Travel right here on News Radio 570 WWNC and 880 The Revolution. Speaking of Travel is brought to you by Appalachian Realty. They've been helping people call Asheville home since 1979 by Small Footprint Travels and by Ola Carolina Magazine. And big news, don't forget, the all-new Speaking of Travel website is up and running. So be sure you log into. Speaking of Travel. Speaking of travel.net, you'll find past podcasts, pictures, blogs, all kinds of fun stuff. And remember, you can listen anywhere, anytime in the whole wide world on your free iHeartRadio app. Well, you know, I didn't travel anywhere by myself until I was well into my 40s. My first solo trip was actually to Hawaii. I went for a two-day conference, and I stayed an extra 12 days. Now, I travel alone whenever I have the chance, sometimes for work and sometimes for pleasure. There's just too much I want to do and see to wait for the perfect travel buddy. And to be honest, traveling by myself affords me the opportunity to do what I want, when I want, without anyone's agenda. That trip to Hawaii really changed my world, and I love to solo travel, but it can still be hard. In fact, one day I was stuck in the airport in Lisbon, and what began as an adventure turned into a lonely and boring experience. That was definitely a day I wished I was traveling with someone else. Traveling by yourself is one of the best ways to learn and challenge yourself. It's a great way to recenter and to escape from the details of your daily life that can really distract us from our own big picture and to be able to come back with a new sense of self-sufficiency and purpose. Well, my guest today is Sarah Benoit, the lead instructor and co-founder at the JB Media Institute. And last year, Sarah went solo on an adventure to Belgium, France, and the Netherlands. And she's right here in the studio to tell us all about it. Welcome to the show, Sarah. Thank you so much for being here today.
2: Thank you. I'm so excited to be here.
1: I know. It's really great. Well, you know, I follow you on Facebook, and, you know, what would we do without social media? (laughs) I mean, I'm talking to the social media maven here, but right? I mean, it's a way that we connect all over the world.
2: Yeah, absolutely. And it's such a great partner, I think, to the solo travel piece. So there was this way for me to kind of be on my own and do what I want, like you said. But at the same time, there were people kind of sharing all the different steps along the way, which just made it even more kind of fun and engaging. Um, because some of the things you see are so beautiful that you want somebody else to experience it to a certain extent. So I love that sort of mix that they go together, traveling alone and kind of having whatever social media is your favorite.
1: I know. it kind of gives me goosebumps. I'm just thinking about it, Mm -hmm. that we've come so far in our um, in our cultures that we have that opportunity to share this global experience uh, with our friends and our family and and even people we don't know Mm -hmm. who are connected to you. So, Sarah, tell me a little bit about yourself. Like, did you grow up
2: traveling when you were a kid? Yeah, absolutely. So traveling, I think, Really became a part of my life early on. I was born in Belgium. Um, My father was in the military and then he became a minister. And so part of his kind of mission work in life was to travel around. And so when I was a teenager, I lived in Guatemala. He took my sisters later on and lived in Haiti for a few months. And um, him and my mom were always going somewhere to kind of help with different projects, whether it was Habitat for Humanity or, you know, some other church that we were working with to do relief work somewhere. Um, We worked actually in Kentucky in the Appalachian Mountains. We worked in uh, downtown uh, Camden, New Jersey, and Philadelphia. We worked in Boston um, and a number of other places. So I moved actually probably around 14 times uh, growing up before I graduated high school. So I became really comfortable at an early age just going places and especially going new places and meeting completely new people. I got really comfortable with that as a, as a small child.
1: And that's that's a hard one for a lot of people, um... You, you you could have gone either way, mm-hmm. right? I mean, I know people who moved every year and were miserable.
2: Yeah, I have a sister who's the opposite of me. I'm very introverted and that life certainly was not as easy for her I think as it was for me. But being sort of a natural extrovert and I was also the oldest, so I was being given a lot of responsibility. You know, I just kind of jumped in and said, "Wow, I'm just going to e- enjoy this and explore it." So, that's been kind of nice because I think it propelled me into a lot of travel alone from the time I was like a young, you know, as soon as I was 18, 19 years old, I was traveling the country and doing different things by myself and with other people. So, wow.
1: So, what kind of things were you doing? Like, what was your life like when you graduated from high school? Did you go to traditional college or were you
2: a free spirit? Um, yeah, I did go to college up in Boston. But during that time, you know, New England is such a small place, so you can travel all the different states. And uh, my parents' families are both from there, so I would already been going there a lot as a kid. And then when I was about 22, I took sort of an epic cross-country trip and lived out of my Volkswagen bus for a few months. Um, I did a few things where I backpacked around New England by myself even before that. Um, You know, in the summertime when it's warm up there and you can stand being outside a lot. So I kind of just, you know, figured out different places I wanted to go. And when I went cross country, I plotted a whole journey and I had three of my friends with me um, and basically just kind of took a whole bunch of time off. Saved up a lot of money and then took a bunch of time off and went to all the different cities I wanted to go to and explored things and ended by moving from Boston to the Bay Area. Um, And so, yeah, that was kind of like my first real commitment to travel was very, very early on. I would say so. That's an epic trip. Yeah.
1: Wow. You know, you hear of people who take a gap year and they go off to Europe and they backpack. That, what you did, seeing it right here in our own country and being able to find adventure as you were moving – that must have been very impactful for you.
2: Yeah, it's interesting, I think, when you get outside of, you know, because I put myself through college, so I worked a lot. When you get yourself outside of our modern routine, you know, and, and you're living basically in your car or camping places and stuff like that, it's weird how your whole energy changes because when it's dark, you start going to bed earlier and earlier and earlier over a few months. You start getting up earlier and earlier. Um, and then we all sort of committed to this kind of plotting out the different places we wanted to go, but every day getting up and taking it as it was. So was it nice out? Was it not? Like really going with the elements per se and the weather and the natural world. And so I felt sort of like a different person by the time we got to California, you know, where I had detached a lot from the schedule and work and stuff like
1: that. My goodness. So when you moved to San Francisco to the Bay Area, what were you, were you feeling like I'm ready to settle now? I've kind of made
2: this big overture of change and shift and... Uh, no, actually. And When we got there, I just continued to explore. So I spent a lot of time exploring the West Coast um, and kind of leaving every weekend to take my Volkswagen bus and because it was great living out of it to just go somewhere and be able to stay for three days without worrying about having a place to stay. Um, and so I just traveled a lot of the West Coast, mostly California, and spent a huge amount of time on the coast and in the Redwoods. And that's how I fell in love with the mountains, which is what ended me up in Asheville. And um, um, but, yeah, it was funny. When we got out there, I thought I would be very settled and want to take a break. And instead, I was really inspired and kind of just kept that going for the three years that I lived there.
1: Wow. So that was really living the nomad life in mm-hmm. a way. I mean, today, people are doing that by choice. You were kind of the pioneer back there, Sarah. Really, yeah. uh, the I don't know. I, I I don't want to call you a hippie, but, you know, when in my generation, that's what we were. We were the free-spirited hippie, like, let's go, let's go do it. Yeah,
2: no, people actually <laughs> referred to us a lot like that because we were in our Volkswagen bus, which I think kind of just set a tone with everybody. But I was really lucky because my parents, after all the traveling we had done, and I know for my mom it was a big challenge when she married my dad because she had grown up in the same place and wasn't really much of a traveler. So, um, you know, their kind of work together uh, is what kind of spawned her to like really get comfortable with it. I felt like they gave me really good instincts, too. So, you know, there was never any situations that were really scary. I mean, definitely when you're kind of being spontaneous, you run into different situations. And I felt really glad that my gut instinct around like this is a good situation or I don't know about this situation was like really strong because my parents kind of taught me to be in the moment and pay attention to what was happening. So I felt really lucky that we just got to have so much fun.
1: What a gift.
2: Yeah. Totally a gift. Well, when we come back from the break,
1: I want to talk to you about this – kind of big adventure epic trip that you just went on and bring in what you were just talking about using those instincts and and feeling safe and all of that so thanks so much for being here today sarah it's really fun thank you all right well this is marilyn Baugh. you're listening to speaking of travel right here on news radio 570 wwnc and 880 the revolution we'll be back right after the break If you love to travel and imagine yourself walking through villages steeped in history, eating delicious foods and taking pictures of everything around you, then you'll enjoy one of Small Footprint Travel's Small Group Trips. You'll be transported into magical settings and experience the simple pleasures of Southeast Asia or Latin America, led by a professional photographer and a culinary guide from Thailand. Be sure to check out their upcoming trips to Cuba, Vietnam and Cambodia. To find out more, visit their website, www.SmallFootprintTravels.com.
0: Latino buying power is huge and rising fast. If you want to tap into this new market, then connect by advertising in Ola Carolina magazine. This glossy Spanish language magazine is published monthly and reaches over 70,000 Spanish-speaking residents in Western North Carolina. Ola Carolina magazine is about much more than just speaking Spanish. It's about Latino culture. Visit olacarolina.com and transform how you attract in- Engage and connect with Latino customers.
1: office on Arlington Street right near downtown Appalachian Realty helping people call Asheville Home since 1979
2: Fly me to
1: the moon let me play among the
0: stars and let me see what spring is like.
1: Hi, it's Marilyn Ball. Welcome back to Speaking of Travel. Right here on News Radio 570 WWNC and 880 The Revolution. And remember, Speaking of Travel is brought to you by Appalachian Realty. They've been helping people call Asheville home since 1979. I mean, that's a really long time. If you want to buy a house or a farm or a condo downtown, these guys over at Appalachian Realty can really help out. Just go to appalachianrealty.com and by small footprint travels and ola carolina magazine. And remember you can listen anywhere anytime in the whole wide world on your free iHeartRadio app. And when you get to the iHeartRadio app, you can listen to the podcast anywhere while you're jogging or walking or sitting on a train or sitting on a bus or even hanging out in your VW bus, like my guest Sarah Benoit. Sarah, thanks so much for being here on the show today. Yeah, I'm really excited. Well, cool. Well, I just love hearing your story. I I was saying during the break, I've known you and I've never known really anything about your traveling background, Um, you know, seeing this big trip, following you on social media. And we were saying, too, that it wasn't a
2: time really where you took selfies, right? (laughs) (laughs) No, exactly. It's funny. I have such a small handful of photographs from probably a solid decade where I traveled the whole country and did a lot of different things. But, you know, back then, I think a lot of being in the moment, you know, you just didn't think about that kind of stuff. You know, now you have the ability in the moment to still have Those kind of you know photographs and stuff like that, but back then you had to go get a camera and you had to go get the film and then you had to develop it. And so, well, that's an
1: interesting. You know, I think that's an interesting uh, dilemma that we're in, in a way that, and you better than anybody, being in the social media um, realm now, so big, you know, and having lived that in the moment, totally. What do you think? I mean, I know for me, sometimes I'm in the moment, but I'm really not because I'm filming something Mm -hmm. or I'm taking pictures of something. And I often wonder, am I really in the moment if I'm behind this camera?
2: Yeah. I mean, I definitely think it's a balance because I, you know, while I was traveling Europe by myself, there was a moment in uh, Brussels, Belgium, where it was so, you know, it's one of those very you know synchronistic, serendipitous moments where you're like, I feel like the universe is catering right to me and giving me this beautiful gift. And I did get film of that moment, but I really did give myself a solid amount of time because I stood in Grand Place and just cried because it was so pretty, you know, and it was like then I had the chance to film a couple things things. It's great that I captured it, but I really didn't want to ruin that moment when I had it, you know. I
1: think that's so important <laughs> and I think it's important for all my listeners as well to remember that because we get so caught up in wanting to share oh my god i'm standing right here i have to share this with everybody and yet i think you do in that moment lose a little something of being that connected Mm -hmm. to that time so finding that balance
2: is is so important i also think when you're traveling alone what you have is an opportunity to have if i can kind of express like I had very romantic moments with myself, you know, where I was in this moment, I was seeing something I'd never seen before. And it was just really felt like, you know, like I said, the universe was giving me this gift. And I just think there's some things that are meant for you. You know, if you're on a journey through life, um, you know, and for me, I think travel is sometimes kind of spiritual. This trip definitely was. So it's just, I think, important to remember that sometimes there's things that happen to you where it isn't for everyone else to know about and it isn't for the rest of the world to see. It's really that you are giving yourself this gift of being alone in a moment that you get to experience. And you might be the only one who remembers that, but there's a real special thing that you're building with the relationship that you have with yourself when you allow that to happen. Absolutely. And
1: I think that's something we can carry with us on our day-to-day journeys as well as these epic Mm -hmm. journeys so getting back let's go back just a minute to the vw bus and you know and i'm really able to get a sense here of how this built for you and you were so lucky and gifted to have parents who who were giving Mm -hmm. um of the instincts and and being able to see things you said when you got out there you, you when you were exploring the mountains, tell us a little bit about how you ended up settling down yeah. after all that time.
2: Yeah, it was really funny. So essentially, while I was in Northern California, um, I really fell in love with the mountains. And on my way from Boston out to the Bay Area, I had visited a friend in Asheville for about two weeks in 1997. And it was so small, I always joke that there was like three hippies and a tumbleweed when I came here the first time. And I just fell in love with how beautiful it was here. So, you know, basically when I came back to the East Coast because of family things, um, I was like, I can't go anywhere that doesn't have mountains because I've been making me feel so happy out in California that I really want to be somewhere like that. And so I came back to Asheville, but my intention was to come to Asheville for one year and then move back to the, the West Coast. And uh, that was basically 17 and a half years ago. So, you know, I got here and things just kept going right. And while I've lived here because of just a situation and the kind of life I built, you know, I have a very simple life. Um, I've been able to... You know, save up a lot of money and then travel and base myself kind of out of Asheville and take a lot of different trips and see a lot of different things. So I kind of shifted once I got here. I see. So you created a base camp. Yeah. So, Randy.
0: Yes. Uh, You
1: and me, and who was the third person when Sarah got here? (laughs) Three three
0: hippies in a tumbleweed. Two of them were you and me. Yes, yes. Who was the third? I'd
1: like to know. So, Sarah, you've traveled a lot, you've used Asheville kind of as your base camp here. Mm Where else have you been? I want to get to your big trip that you just went on, but give me some ideas to where you've been going over all these 17
2: years. Yeah, so one thing that I thought, I mean, again, I've continued to travel the United States all over the place. Um, You know, I really love just that our country is huge and there's so many options. But, you know, I spent some time in Canada. I spent some time in Puerto Rico. I spent some time in Mexico. Um, You know, I've actually returned to mexico a number of times i'm actually going back to puerto rico in april so i returned there a number of times um You know, and basically I spent a lot of time going back to California, revisiting a lot of things out there, traveling, um, doing road trips all through the Southeast, doing road trips through New Mexico, Texas, um, spending time in Portland and Seattle. Um, So that's kind of been the mix over the years. And then I travel a lot to see my family up north. So I've taken a number of my closest family members, 12 hours. So a lot of times I'll do these solo road trips, you know, by myself up there. Um, And so that gets kind of like mixed in, you know, repeatedly, but probably the, the most time I've spent. But, you know, the big thing that really changed my life um, as far as being a, a kind of longtime traveler is in 2013, I took a month and I went to Hawaii by myself. So I thought it was really interesting that I had a really powerful experience being in Hawaii alone, but also it was one of the longest trips I'd taken. Um, and so just to prove, number one, that I could be alone for that long, and number two, that I could get away from work for that long. So, you know, it was really amazing um, and kind of really inspired me to do like this five-week trip. And to keep extending that, I try to take three to, to five weeks now every you know year if I can pull that off. Wow. So when you first did that
1: big trip, when you went to Hawaii— Were you really honest, like a sabbatical or was that, were you a digital nomad? Were you working
2: while you were traveling by yourself? Yeah, so this is actually interesting. I had friends here uh, that met here, got married. They lived in Charlotte um, and then they moved to Hawaii. So because I'm a big planner, I spent a whole year planning the trip. I bought all the tickets. I did all the stuff. And then literally two weeks before I flew there, they sent me a text that said, we had a family emergency. We moved back to Charlotte. And I was like, "What? Whoa. wait, are you kidding me? Because right. I'm coming to Hawaii for three weeks and I don't have anywhere to live.
0: Houston, we have a problem.
2: Yeah. And so it was just really amazing because I basically, I had bookended the trip with two weekends in San Francisco. And my friends there, of course, were like, just come to San Francisco and stay here. And I was like, I just spent like... A lot of money on this plan to go to Hawaii. I was like, I don't care. I'm just going. And so literally I found an Airbnb from this guy. I just kind of manifested it out of magic. And then I just flew there, got off the plane knowing nobody, having no idea what I was doing. Because I had expected them to show me around. I'd expected them to have a car. Um, and so it was really funny. Like I had to pull it together basically in two weeks. And um, it ended up just being amazing. Wow. Like amazing.
1: Wow. I, You know, I was there for 12 days. It was pretty amazing. The thought of being there knowing nobody, getting out. When we come back from the break, I want to find out a little more about that trip, and then let's move into your big five-week. Is that how long you were gone? Yeah. Wow. Mm -hmm. Well— Thank you, Sarah, for being here. I'm getting inspired, and I'm <laughs> kind of feeling like I want to go somewhere right now. Well, when we come back from the break, we'll meet up with Sarah again. We'll find out more about Hawaii and Belgium and the Netherlands and how to take five weeks off of work. That's my. Uh, that's what I want to find out. So stay tuned. You're listening to Speaking of Travel. We'll be right back. is on Arlington Street, right near downtown. Appalachian Realty, helping people call Asheville home since 1979.
0: Latino buying power is huge and rising fast. If you want to tap into this new market, then connect by advertising in Ola Carolina magazine. This glossy Spanish language magazine is published monthly and reaches over 70,000 Spanish-speaking residents in Western North Carolina. Ola Carolina magazine is about much more than just speaking Spanish. It's about Latino culture. Visit OlaCarolina.com and transform how you attract Engage and connect with Latino customers.
1: If you love to travel and imagine yourself walking through villages steeped in history, eating delicious foods and taking pictures of everything around you, then you'll enjoy one of Small Footprint Travel's Small Group Trips. You'll be transported into magical settings and experience the simple pleasures of Southeast Asia or Latin America, led by a professional photographer and a culinary guide from Thailand. Be sure to check out their upcoming trips to Cuba, Vietnam and Cambodia. To find out more, visit their website, www.SmallFootprintTravels.com.
2: Fly me to the moon, let
0: me play among the stars, and let me see what spring is like
1: on Welcome back to Speaking of Travel. This is your host, Marilyn Ball. You're listening right here on News Radio 570 WWNC and 880 The Revolution. And remember, Speaking of Travel is brought to you by Appalachian Realty. They've been here helping people call Asheville home since 1979 by Small Footprint Travels and by Ola Carolina Magazine. And be sure that you visit the Speaking of Travel Facebook page and the new Speaking Speaking of Travel website, that's speakingoftravel.net. And remember, you can listen anywhere, anytime in the whole wide world on your free iHeartRadio app. Well, I am having a blast here right in the studio with Sarah Benoit. Sarah, what a great story that is about going to Hawaii and
2: recognizing... Uh, well, I guess I'm just going to have to make it work. Yeah, it was just so spontaneous. And in some ways, you know, it wasn't ideal, you know, because Hawaii is very expensive. And so having a bunch of added expenses at the last minute is a little scary. Um, but I always remind myself, that's why I'm debt free. I usually have paid off credit cards. So it's for those moments where I want to take an opportunity. And, and so I just went ahead and took it. And there were just so many amazing things that happened on that trip. And the first eight days, you know, I'm a very extroverted person. I know a lot of people. I'm pretty much very verbal. And because when I first got there, I really didn't know anybody and I hadn't, you know, really planned, you know, to have I expected my friends to be there that, you know, I basically spent the first week very quiet and like really didn't talk to anybody except the guy who rented me my Airbnb. And that in and of itself was amazing, to just, like, wander the city, to hike, you know, in the rainforest, go to all these beaches, and, you know, could just kind of be by myself. And then after week one, because I had so much time left, you know, I started, like, making more connections. Um, but that was, you know, a really powerful thing to have, to start the trip, to have this very meditative experience. Absolutely, and in such a
1: beautiful spot to mm-hmm. be able to have that. So jump forward, fast forward now to just last year. And I would imagine having listened to you say, you know, you planned this trip to Hawaii back then in a year's time. Tell us how this trip unfolded for you that uh, that you just took.
2: Yeah, so I was born in a little city called Mons, Belgium, and I moved away from there when I was like, you know, between two and three years old. And, you know, it was something my parents talked about my whole life. Uh, you know, they loved living there. My mother had never been out of the country when she moved there, and it was a big deal. Um, And so essentially I had always wanted to go back. My father had promised uh, for years that when I was 18, he would take me there so I could see it. And... You know, essentially, my family's real working class. You know, we don't come from like a money background. So basically, last year when I turned 40, I kind of said, Well, Dad, you know, it's been 22 years since I turned 18 and I really want to go back there. And I happen to have my own money now. So I think I'm going to do it. And so that was kind of the impetus. It's something I'd always talked about since I was a kid. Uh, I've always felt like there's something there um, that I wanted to connect to. My parents used to always say, even though I didn't really grow up there, that I'm very Belgian. And so I just wanted to go and kind of see it. And so this was sort of my pilgrimage back to this place uh, that I was born. And that's I basically started about 14 months in advance, kind of saving money and buying different things and price shopping everything because Europe is really expensive. So just even getting the flights down to a decent amount and, you know, just kind of planning like all the different places I wanted to go. And you knew uh, you had talked with, um, I guess you're the co-founder, so your
1: business partner Mm -hmm. uh, that hey, I'm going to be gone for five weeks. Just wanted to...
2: Give you the FYI. Yeah. And we had a big sort of I had personally a big career milestone happening. And him and I have been working together for almost six years now. And so we had done like five years of work to get to this point in the business. And so I wanted to kind of market with something special. So that's kind of what I you know, said was we're going to be making a big change. I'm making a huge shift. Like I need to go away and clear my head and come back. And December is a really great month to do it because nobody is really wanting to talk about marketing in December. They all kick it off in January and our school takes a little break. I don't teach at AB Tech during that time. So my reasons to be in Asheville were kind of settled out, you know, during that holiday period. Right. So you saved your
1: money. You made the plans. And and this is something that is really important. uh, And I hear it over and over again that, you know, people think, oh, I'm going to, you know, I really want to take a big trip, but I can't afford it and I don't know how to do it. And yet if you plan
2: the oh, resources yeah. are there. Oh, absolutely. It's actually incredible. Like it just takes giving yourself the time because when I first started pricing the tickets over to Brussels, you know, they were 1100, 1200, 3 months worth of research and I paid 545. Wow. for the ticket. So, it was just a matter of asking around and kind of like, you know, putting the price alerts in and doing all of that stuff. Exactly. Yeah. And having the patience mm-hmm. to say This is going to unfold in its most perfect way. Yeah. And I also think one thing, you know, that's funny about solo travel is there's always going to be a reason not to do it. So that's why, you know, a year out, eight months out, I'll buy the tickets and then that's that that's like I'm going, you know, and so I could say to my business partner, like, I'm going to be doing this, I'm going to be doing this. But then I bought the tickets like eight months out. And I was like, so now I've already paid for the tickets. And they were a lot of money. So I am flying out of here on this day. And I'm not coming back till this day. So I think when you solo travel, that's a good way to keep yourself in check. And just don't deviate from your plan, because you're going to have an excuse to not do it. You're going to explain to yourself in your brain that you know, oh, it's too much money. I shouldn't be doing this. It's too irresponsible. I'm too old to be taking off for a month um that's what college kids do well no no it isn't it's what grown adults do uh (laughs) if they just make a commitment to that being a priority exactly and i can totally relate to
1: that because i know even for me when i get down to even a week or two weeks out boy those voices in my head (laughs) kick in so fast and so hard like what are you doing you can't leave the dog even though you have a pet sitter, mm-hmm. you know, a house sitter, oh, I, what What if? There's always those what yeah. ifs. So hearing you say that, you know, make your plan, stick with it, be committed to the plan. So once you had it all kind of done, boom, here comes the date you're ready to fly off again. You're going
2: someplace where, I mean, did you know anybody there? Yeah. So I was lucky that about seven years ago, I met a woman from Belgium here through a client of mine and I did a free consult for her. And evidently I made a big impact on her. She changed her career because of the conversation we had. And so even though it was seven years later, she had said to me before she left Asheville, if you come to Brussels, I'll let you sleep on the couch. So seven years later, I emailed her to say, did you still mean that? Um, And her answer was yes. So that was great because when I landed there, I had five days of living in the house with her and her partner and them just kind of like helping me get the lay of the land. I also speak uh, no to little French and my French when I am speaking it is pretty awful. Uh, I speak Spanish, which is why I travel a lot of Spanish speaking countries. So there was a big thing for me and that I was going somewhere where my language skills are really poor. Um, And so it was really nice because they both speak English. And so they kind of like allowed me that little cushion of just getting used to. Like I could come home at night and sometimes have some conversations in English and like you know ask them questions about French and try to get a little better at it. So that was a really nice buffer to have them. But after that, I pretty much traveled alone until um when I got to Amsterdam I had a friend who's getting her masters in Paris and we met up together.
1: Oh, that's so sweet. So when you got to Belgium and you had that time and you're you're looking around, did you start to feel, hmm, I could be from here.
2: Absolutely. Absolutely. From the first time I could order French fries with mayonnaise all over the top of it, I was like, these are my people for real. Um, Because that's the kind of thing my dad has always laughed about, you know, that when I was a kid, I'm like, ketchup, gross, like put the mayo with my my fries. And he's like, that's so weird because that's Belgian. So I don't know where you're getting that from. Um, I just loved that country. It was so fun. They have a real historical reputation um, for being kind of uh, rebellious. Uh, And, you know, when I took a history tour and really, like, kind of learned about the history of Belgium, it was funny that they say that their national sport is not paying taxes. Uh, They're the most highly taxed country in Europe. And so, you know, they're basically like, for hundreds of years, Belgians have been trying to avoid taxes. And they're just very unconventional, very friendly. Um, You know, the country is split between the Flemish and the French. And so that's a really interesting thing to experience, because the Flemish is sort of, uh, you know, related to the the Dutch. And then, uh, like, the French part of Belgium is much more like France. So, really interesting.
1: Wow. Well, when we come back from the break, let's pick up right there because I've never been to Belgium, and I'm fascinated. I didn't... I'd like to know more, and I'm sure other people would. And where else you went? uh, That was a big, epic trip. So, thank you, Sarah, for being here today. We'll be back right after the break. This is Marilyn Ball. You're listening to Speaking of Travel. If you love to travel and imagine yourself walking through villages steeped in history, eating delicious foods and taking pictures of everything around you, then you'll enjoy one of Small Footprint Travel's Small Group Trips. You'll be transported into magical settings and experience the simple pleasures of Southeast Asia or Latin America, led by a professional photographer and a culinary guide from Thailand. Be sure to check out their upcoming trips to Cuba, Vietnam and Cambodia. To find out more, visit their website www.smallfootprinttravels.com.
0: Latino buying power is huge and rising fast. If you want to tap into this new market, then connect by advertising in Ola Carolina magazine. This glossy Spanish language magazine is published monthly and reaches over 70,000 Spanish-speaking residents in Western North Carolina. Ola Carolina magazine is about much more than just speaking Spanish. It's about Latino culture. Visit OlaCarolina.com and transform how you attract Engage and connect with Latino customers.
1: office on Arlington Street, right near downtown. Appalachian Realty, helping people call Asheville home since 1979.
2: Fly me to the moon,
1: let me play among the stars,
0: and let me see what spring is like on
1: Welcome back to Speaking of Travel. This is your host, Marilyn Ball. You're listening right here on News Radio 570, WWNC, and 880 The Revolution. And remember, Speaking of Travel is brought to you by Appalachian Realty, Small Footprint Travels, and Ola Carolina Magazine. Well, I'm excited to have Sarah Benoit here in the studio with Randy and I today. Sarah, you know, I've known you for so long. We've been in mutual uh, kind of crossover industries, we've spoken at the same and conferences, and yet you know this is how it is in in Asheville. Even you see somebody, you know somebody, but you don't really know them. Yeah, so it's really fun getting to know you and and hearing your stories. And you know, I've heard from many people getting to a country and feeling like they're home. Mm-hmm. And it sounds like you felt that way when you when you got to Belgium.
2: Yeah, I really did. It's just I felt like the people were very open. Um, you know, there's just it's very there's so many people from different countries there so as we mentioned during the break Belgium has been taken over since like Roman times by everyone like everyone goes in there and kind of conquers that sort of a joke in their country like we're not good at fighting we're really good at beer and pop, beer and chocolate you know <laughs> but we're not good at fighting so you know they, it's just they're very sort of multicultural and it's a very tiny country like I don't think people really know how it's incredibly small I mean it's like comparable to Rhode Island you know uh, in our in our states so it's just this tiny little place that you can get through in just a few hours and so uh and it's very old it's extremely old so like the city i was born in you know has like history from 1100 you know and before that uh and the city of ghent is a medieval city that i visited and it has the only it's the only city in the world with a medieval castle in the center of it that you can still visit and stuff like that so it's just really rich and everybody's kind of very fun and laid back and you know there's a lot of influence in the culture from different places Wow. I'm definitely putting that on my list. It sounds really great.
1: So when you were saying that it's divided Mm -hmm. and it's such a tiny little country—
2: When you go from one side to the other, do you have to show your passport? No, not at all. It's just simply that Flemish and French are the two national languages. And everything, especially in the Brussels region, everything is in both languages because people speak both. Um, And culturally, they're very different because, like I said, the French part of Belgium is much more related to France and kind of the history of France and the French culture. And then you get into the Flemish part of Belgium, which is mostly like the Dutch and actually comes from a huge Dutch dynasty from when... um, there was a huge dynasty that kind of spanned, like, all of the Dutch areas, plus Spain and a bunch of other places. And so when that was, you know, holding Belgium as part of it, I uh, was really influenced that way. So. Wow. Yeah.
1: So then you were there you, and you were gone. This trip was a big trip. It was like yeah. five weeks. How did you kind of um, organize that time? Like, what was your agenda?
2: Yeah, so I did a week in Brussels. I did a week kind of split between Ghent and Mons, which is where I was born. Then I went to Paris for two days. And in Paris, I had a great time because I was only there for 44 hours. And I went all the way down into the catacombs and then came up and then went all the way to the top of the Eiffel Tower and then, like, got up the next morning and left. So I basically went as far underneath and as far above Paris as you can go, and then I, I got on a train. And then I spent the last two weeks over Christmas and New Year's in Amsterdam in the New wow. That must have been a lot of fun. Yeah, Amsterdam's amazing. Um, I think out of all the places I went, if I was ever going to be tolerant of cold weather again, I would absolutely move there.
1: So had yeah. you ever been before?
2: No. Never.
1: So when you went, you said you met some friends there for a while? Yeah, I had yep. a friend who
2: was living in Paris. Oh, She's right. been there for two years. And since she was alone for the holidays, I went ahead and invited her to meet me in Amsterdam and stay there with me over How Christmas. How fun. That yeah. must have been a blast. Yeah, it was lovely. And I have to say, you know, Dutch culture and the Dutch people and just the Netherlands in general is, I have never been anywhere so lovely. Like, it was just amazing. Yeah. I've heard that. In yeah.
1: fact, I think there's
2: even, like, the
1: top you know, five places in the world and yeah. the Netherlands is
2: like the top. Yeah, people are really happy and there's just so much beautiful stuff to do. I did a little bit of a journey um, from Belgium all the way to uh, Amsterdam following sort of the, the route that Vincent van Gogh. Um, went on, and so that was a big personal thing. I love uh van Gogh's paintings, and so that was something I really tapped into too while I was there and I think the Van Gogh Museum might be one of the most incredible places i've ever seen Wow
1: again you're making me drool now for <laughs> wanting to be there, so as you were traveling around, did you um did you what kind of transportation were you taking
2: yeah so I took all public transport I did a lot of trains a lot of buses a lot of trams uh, everything in Europe leaves on time so like that is the thing you learn right away like you have to be on that train ready to go I ran after a lot of trains and threw my stuff on them um, also they're very compact in Europe and so because I was gone so long you know I was lugging probably 60 pounds of gear of all my stuff because it was winter and so just be prepared you know like I really Learn the lesson of the reasons why you get a really good backpack and you get this really good stuff because you have to be able to navigate lots of people and if you have a lot of stuff like it, the trains will run out of space instantly for storage so did you feel that you had packed appropriately yeah i actually think i probably could have lessen the amount um, still even. But yeah, I felt like I packed pretty appropriately. I just wish I now understand why you get the same pack back to go around Europe as you do when you're on the Appalachian Trail. Like you really want it all on your back. That would be ideal. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) So you were
1: doing the public transportation. You didn't rent a car. Nope. Uh, Did you ever feel, let me phrase it this way.
2: Did you feel safe? all the time while you were traveling? Yeah, I really did. I mean, I think there's some basic things that I paid attention to. I mean, I'm pretty comfortable, I think, being out there in the world. Um overall. But I think, you know, I paid really close attention those first few weeks that I wasn't like out drinking by myself. And, you know, I'm not much of a drinker. So it only takes me a couple glasses of wine to be kind of, you know, intoxicated. So I was just really thoughtful about what I was putting off, you know, when I was walking around, because I was out a lot at night by myself. You know, I was often like traveling by myself and walking through neighborhoods. And I did a lot of walking, which is real crazy. Sometimes I walked for eight hours a day, you know, through the city, just going places. Um, And so that's something that I think you just have to get confident about. You know, I had to use maps because my phone didn't work over there. So I had my guidebooks and my maps and I plotted everything in the morning. And, you know, because I didn't my phone, I couldn't use my cellular data. So I'd have to be on Wi-Fi to use it while I was there. So I I feel like I got a little old school, too.
1: That's really fun, though, getting out the maps and being Mm -hmm. able to navigate and, you know, and doing all that walking is so good for you. And you're you know you're out in like the real world and it sounds like you met wonderful people
2: everywhere you went yeah it was really just I mean I will probably never forget the guy who rented me the Airbnb in Amsterdam because he spent two hours with us when we arrived there like basically just explaining where we were in the city and how we got to this place and like giving us kind of the lowdown of what was up and it was just so I mean I really felt like we kind of just moved in there which was lovely because I had been jumping trains and going a lot of places so when I got to Amsterdam I was really ready for that like two weeks of not packing my luggage (laughs) right
1: wow you know it's it's amazing there's so much noise out there these days there's so much kind of them versus us and you go to these other places and they're different but it sounds like everywhere you went you found people were people
2: Yeah, and I think, you know, in months, which was, you know, the whole impetus of the trip, I had a really beautiful experience where I was sitting in a restaurant and the waiter said to me, uh, you know, do you want to speak English? Because my French was so terrible. And I was like, sure. And then he was like, you know, what are you doing here? Because Mons is not a tourist town. Like nobody goes there. And, you know, he's like, why are you here? And I was like, oh, well, I was born here. And he was like, well, let me guess. Your parents were stationed at Shape, which is the international military base my dad was stationed at in the 70s. And I was like, yeah. And he was like, do you know what's so funny? He's like, there's so many of you in the last few years that have come back here, that you were born here in the 70s and you lived on the shape, you know, and you came back. And I was like, well, that's because we're all like 40 and we have money. And so we all (laughs) can afford this trip. And so, But I really appreciated this interesting thing where there's a whole tribe of people that are actually doing the same thing that I'm doing because they were born there and they lived there as a kid and they want some sort of connection to that experience. That
1: is so sweet. I mean, really, right, Randy? Having that connection is the way we want to... Live our lives.
0: And uh, so many other people are doing it too. That's mm-hmm. amazing.
1: It yeah. is amazing. Well, Sarah, how could people follow you and see some of these wonderful pictures and, you know, get to know you? Yeah, better? definitely.
2: You can definitely check me out. I'm on Facebook, on Twitter, and Instagram. You can just look me up as Sarah Deborah Benoit or Sarah D. Benoit, And basically, you can follow any of that stuff. I've got great photo albums up there, great videos, great pictures. I tried to kind of chart things on all three of my accounts for different people. so
1: and Benoit sounds a little French.
2: Yeah, my grandfather was French-Canadian, so. Wow. Yeah, it's kind of harsh when you go to a French country, and you are born in Belgium, and your name is Benoit, and they start speaking French to you, and then you speak so badly. Yeah, so right. I had a lot
1: of explaining to do while I was over there. And that's B-E-N-O-I-T. Yes. Benoit. Well, mm-hmm. Sarah, thank you so much for being on the show today. Where You said you were going to go to um,
2: Puerto Rico. Yeah. But are you looking at, like, a next year big trip kind of thing? Yeah, we have two things going on. I mean, Puerto Rico's coming up which if you've never been to Puerto Rico, I suggest everybody go there tomorrow. It is the greatest place on Earth. Um, But basically, I have friends in Mexico that I'd like to go back down to see. They live outside of Guadalajara. I'd like to do that again, because there's more places I want to travel to. But the big trip I think that's on my list next is Greece. I have a friend who lives there. I've always wanted to go there. He lives about three hours outside of Athens, so we're kind of planning what that looks like, hopefully, for 2018. Well, that sounds wonderful. Well, we'll have you back on the show so you can tell us all about it. Thank you so much
1: for being here today, Sarah. It's really great getting to know you and, you know, travel solo,
2: really important topic. Yeah, and thanks for letting me share, because it's not something you get to talk about that much, so I really appreciate it. It's good to hear
1: your story. Well, this is Marilyn Ball. You've been listening to Speaking of Travel right here on News Radio 570 WWNC and 880 The Revolution. Go out and have a great day, and remember, don't postpone joy.